Lisa K. Weber is hands down my favorite person I've never met. Oh, I cast, I cast, I cast no shade. No, no, I get, yeah, that makes sense. That's fine. I feel fine with that. I Uh, met you. No, but it's like because he hasn't met me. I've met you. Oh, I see. The that's why it's safe for us to say. I thought he said my favorite person I've ever met. No, never met. Never met. No. I, was... I have a wife in the next room. Yeah, like, <laughs> I wouldn't accept favorite person you ever met. Welcome to that episode was We Are Popsicle. In this episode, we'll be offering opinions, many opinions, and reactions, wonderful reactions to The Sandman Season 1 Episode dream a little dream of me in which dream of the endless teams up with joanna constantine which i always want to say constantine and clearly i am wrong because if this show isn't canon in terms of pronunciations you know what would would be anyway this series was developed by neil gaiman david goyer and showrunner alan heinberg the episode was written by jim campolongo and it was directed by jamie childs So, I'm joined once again. I'd love to know the number of times that we have joined each other in this way. Um, but I'm joined once again by my co-hosts. All of them are lovely. I am Claire Thorne, and I'm joined by Lisa K. Weber, a guru of just all things glorious. Hello, Lisa. Well, hello. Yes. <laughs> Justin Peniston, the authority. The master, the authority. I of all. Not even the Warren Ellis comic. I am simply the authority. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Kelly, our master of edits, our master of production, production our mm-hmm. also an authority. I guess you have to fight with Justin on that, Philip. Oh, no, I can, I'll let him have it. Okay. I will just, I will be kind the today. Master. It is Justin... so cute that you think you're letting me <laughs> do anything. That is really adorable. <laughs> I just want to wrap you up in a bow. <laughs> I look best in a bow, actually. Yeah. No it's been too long, so everyone's coming in hot. Yes. <laughs> and last but not least, our guiding light, Kelly Sumilano. Wow, I'm doing a terrible job of being the guiding light. <laughs> in- I would never have thought of you as a soap opera I never watched. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'd like to hope that if I were a soap opera, that you would watch me. Absolutely. You are much more of an all my children. Thank you. She all my children. Maybe more young and the restless, but no, no, no. General Hospital is the only soap we talk about on this podcast because that's it right there. The General Hospital. Oh man. (sighs) Yes. All right, you everyone. Episode three. Um, we are introduced to the lovely 
Joanna Constantine. And so I want to get into all of the things Constantine. Um, we're, we've got gender swapping, and I know this is a point of, you know, I'm sure contention for some, um, comment for others, but I, I think it is an interesting choice that Neil Gaiman has very specifically spoken about making. And so I want to get everyone's reactions to that and specifically the casting, Jenna Coleman, which I mean, come on, Jenna Coleman is, yeah, um, just phenomenal. And and I'm going to lead us off by just noting that <clears throat> the exorcism that happens in this uh, story during the wedding is one of the more brilliant exorcisms I've ever seen. There's nothing like, I guess, tricking the demon you're exercising into saying his own exorcism um, <laughs> without knowing that he's doing it. I'm, I'm kind of thinking that this guy wasn't the brightest demon in the, whatever group of demon, a group of demons is. Um, so, and, you know, we got to see Constantine's character um, specifically in, you know, some of the relationships that she has had so, uh, thoughts about Constantine? I'm going to go to Philip first oh, wow. because Philip likes to lay back, like he's doing right now, just kind of <laughs> hang. But uh, also, if anybody can teach me about Constantine, when we get to Justin, I'm sure this this will happen. <laughs> out, out, outside of of Keanu Reeves, I really don't know that much about this character outside of the Sandman universe. So um, anyway, Philip, please. Uh, yeah, well, I, I also love Constantine when he pops up in Swamp Thing as well. Those are the other uh, elements I've seen him, the the comic book character. But I, as far as Jenna Coleman, I love Jenna Coleman. Um, I have since Doctor Who. That was my first real introduction to her as a, the companion to Matt Smith's Doctor and then Capaldi's Doctor after that. Um, the longest running, I think, companion of all time uh if i'm not mistaken but um that could be correct yeah i mean I i've so. struggled this entire time as i've shared with lisa to not refer to her as clara trying to i'm like oh like when she first showed up i was like oh right it's clara and i was yeah. like i know that's not the actress's name yeah i had to well, look I it up you. because all i could think of was, was clara, clara oswald yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Yeah. Um, and she does a great job in this role as Constantine. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, this is, I, I had to rewatch the episode. I, I, I rewatched it today and I'm really glad I did because my first time through, I didn't feel like I got enough of her with hmm. the jumping back and forth between this storyline and the John D story. I was like, I want more Constantine. And the second time through, I felt like, it was all there. It was just uh, I needed to sit with it a little bit, and I'm I'm glad I did because thematically, let's just dive right in. Uh, thematically, uh, you know, she is uh, presenting to us, as is um, uh, the John D. storyline, a character that is having to face up to the way they have acted towards other people, and kind of coming face to face with how that has affected other people. And uh, you see that with um, also, uh, oh God, I'm dropping the name of the other wonderful actor playing opposite uh, David in this episode. What's her oh, name? Oh, Richardson, yeah. uh, 
uh, Jolie, 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 Jolie yes. Richardson, um, also is having to face how her actions have affected other people. And thematically, those are some big elements of the series as a whole when talking about Morpheus. Um, so to see that presented pretty clearly through uh, and dramatized through Constantine's story uh, was very effective, um, I, I felt. Um, the gender swapping, fantastic. I, you know, if you're going to keep the essence of the character, I don't care who the hell plays them. Um, and I felt like the essence of Constantine was really there and it was really wonderful to see, uh, bruv, uh, all that fun wordplay and, uh, was there, which love, which is lovely. And there's sort of, uh, uh, offhandedness, I guess you could say, uh, she tackled quite nicely. Um, so yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I was there for it, especially the second time through. Um, and that exorcism was quite delightful. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, like, just to build off, like, the themes that I noticed on the second watch of it, um, I was noticing, like, the trust theme. Um, because it's like she was, she was, especially in the big moment where, you know, she's like, you can't just leave Rachel here. And he's like, why not? And she has her whole like, you know, what's the point of you? Like, because you've just lumped us all into being Roderick Burgess. And so now you're not even going to like serve the people that like you claim to serve humanity in this way. But you're not even going to do that right now because you're so hurt by being hurt by this one person. Um, and I was like noticing that as kind of like a theme as well of this kind of trust theme where it was like, you know, even she couldn't trust herself to get close to people mm -hmm. after what happened with Astra that like, I kind of like assumed that it was the night she went out and lost Astra. That was the same night that she left Rachel mm. because I, that was just kind of my assumption. They don't say that, but it was just kind of like, it just made sense that that's kind of how those events lined up that she was like, well, I can't trust myself to be close to people which also kind of mirrored dream and the entry of Matthew and him not being able to trust being close to anyone else in this way too. Um, and as far as, you know, I mean, I'll also sing the praises of Jenna Coleman as Joanna Constantine. I mean, she's, she was great. And like you were saying, Phil, I like, like she, she captures the kind of casualness of um, exorcism <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah. dealing with demons and supernatural beings in this very casual way that is in keeping with the Constantine character that um, I, I appreciated. And I appreciated like, I appreciated the changes from the source material as far as like, I keep on appreciating the change from the source material because it's a totally different medium. It has to be different. Mm -hmm. And that because mm -hmm. it's this medium, we're going to lean into emotional connection a lot more. And I really appreciated that in her character. I thought they did well in bringing a lot of that around in her. Mm -hmm. Justin. So John Constantine and that is a pronunciation that I am also struggling with. <laughs> is a uh, is a character that I've loved for a long time. Um, and I do believe, having seen 
Keanu Reeves and Matt Ryan in the role. Um, that this is the best on-screen, you know, version of the character I've thus far seen. Um, with all the versions of of Constantine on film, I've always felt like they, and I know this is an aspect of the character in the comics, but it's still. I've always felt like its depiction on screen was a little too matter of fact. Uh, like no one seems amazed at all by the supernatural. I'm cool if Constantine isn't, but I feel like everyone else kind of should be. You know what I mean? Otherwise, what makes Constantine special isn't a special, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so on June 27th of this year, <laughs> I wrote a tweet. And that tweet said, just read an article about the quote colorblind casting in Sandman. I wonder, at Neil himself, if a quote genderblind approach went into the cast into casting characters like Lucienne, Johanna Constantine, and Lucifer, or if there was a deliberate, laudable pre-casting choice to gender swap. On that same day, Neil himself responds, "Not really, except for Lucienne, where we realized there weren't any women in the, pl- in the palace." Johanna was just for economy, as we were going to meet her ancestor anyway. And Lucifer, we just wanted someone to play Lucifer. Um, Wait, so Neil Gaiman responded to your tweet? Yes. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yeah. Um, um, Justin's big shotting us right now. That's it. Yeah. Even what I am doing. It's like, this, this is my close personal but, relationship. This is not the first time he has... Um, Posted of oh. this tweet, this particular tweet. Yes, it's true. I have talked should. about this tweet before because I was yes. super proud of it. No, yes, um, be proud of yourself and boast away. I love it. Yes, but um, the cool thing was the gender swap wasn't for what people would derisively call wokeness. Right, they did it because they're making a TV show, and TV shows cost money, and it's cheaper to get one actor to play both roles. You know, and fuck it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm completely down with that. Um, I'm completely down with taking this character that is iconic enough that the average person knows who the, the character is mm. and being like, you know what? We're just going to change the gender because fuck it, because it makes more sense. Like mm-hmm. to be comfortable enough with the character and to know that what makes the character the character has nothing to do with gender. Mm-hmm. Um uh Constantine is bi or pansexual in the comics so you know it doesn't really matter who mm-hmm. they decide to hook him up with but I think there is a sort of men try to act tough in a way that women usually don't that is accurate and 100% be- I think because of that Constantine's fragility, which is a big part of the character in the comics, mm. reads truer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so in the in when Constantine appears in Sandman, we're not treated to his backstory. We mm-hmm. don't know that there was an event involving the raising of a demon where things went really, really bad. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and so we're presented with that in the opening of this. Which is, you know, that's like, just in case. So everyone knows this is who Constantine is and why their interaction with Dream means something to them. Mm. Um, I dug that. Um, I really 
loved Constantine has an iconic look, the trench coat. Mm-hmm. You know, they changed it from tan to black for Keanu, kept mm-hmm. it comics accurate, you know, the tan trench for Matt Ryan. And here they went with white. And I freaking loved it. I thought it looked great. Yeah. Um, especially juxtaposed with the black pants. There was this whole like white, black, dark light, freaking good, evil thing going on that I really felt was visually represented with the character and it really Mm. really really works Mm -hmm. i am way more interested in following the story of johanna constantine than i am of any version of john constantine that's thus far appeared um my only issues with her particular role had nothing to do with her as a character or or her as an actress but there were a couple of places where, you know, to follow up on what Lisa was saying, they maybe tried to be too comics accurate unnecessarily. Like Constantine's interaction with Dream at the, at the beginning of the story here is completely different than it was in the comic. Mm-hmm. So there was really no reason for Mad Hattie to be there. Mm. You well, know, she, yeah. and like Mad Hattie appears in the comic because she is one of many things pointing Constantine to the approach of dream. And that takes place, you know, she sees dream. He sees dream three days after he sees Mad Hetty, you know, in the comic, but here yeah. it literally happens. She turns around yeah. and there he is, you yeah. know, yeah. yeah. Which and there's no reason weird. for it. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for Mad Hetty to warn someone that dream is coming. If, if dream is there. standing right <laughs> fucking there. Right. That's you know, weird. like, so it just, yeah. It was to me, it struck me as something they didn't feel like they could leave out for some reason, but they totally could have. Mm. I know? did not mind, I didn't mind the Mad Hetty being didn't mind in there. it my first I watch. Re- I didn't mind on either watch Mad Hetty being in there that it was like it felt natural to me. It honestly didn't feel shoehorned. I was like, listen, Mad Hetty, I mean, for the comics readers it's like it's important for mad hetty to be there um and for anybody who's new to it well you have to get introduced to mad hetty somewhere it may as well be in the spot Mm -hmm. and i mean it takes up like 30 seconds i I wasn't disturbed by it i'll just say that for me it it worked and i wasn't disturbed my fix would simply have been to not introduce dream at that moment but to do it after the exorcism Do you know what I'm saying? Like he didn't need to be standing right there, you know, especially since she's going to ignore him at that point anyway. Um, (laughs) Listen, we know how we feel. Yes, it it didn't bug me the first time. I thought it all went just great. I had no issue with it. Yeah, Yeah. it it annoyed me a little bit because (laughs) I don't think she was there for a reason other than she was in the comic. Totally. I didn't completely feel that way. There was a part of me that was like, because it's, it's really hard for me to not watch, especially like on the second watches of the episodes to try and watch through the eyes of somebody who's seeing this for the first time. Um, and I thought that the inclusion of Matt, like, I totally see what you're saying because there was a moment where I was like, Oh, he's, just right there. <laughs> yeah. um, but there was a, you know, there was a part of it where, because so much of, of, of the, the beginning of this episode is like 
um, you know, in juxtaposed with the comic, it's like, there's definitely a buildup, right. To, to when, uh, Constantine and comes into contact with dream. And here it's like, boom, boom, boom. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. Here's what's happening. Constantine does shit with demons. There you go. And the inclusion of Mad Hetty for me, it sort of like, it created a bridge that, that maybe people seeing this for the first time needed. Like we're in a world where there are other people who know about the existence of dream. You know, it isn't just like, oh, he's just showing up for this one random person because I guess she does stuff with hell, <laughs> you know? Um, let, and let I, liked it, in, one I liked thing. it in that sense. Not that I think they shouldn't have included Matt Hetty. Mm. I think they should have cleaned it up to make it work better. I think that's really what I'm I saying. totally hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and my reaction to it was that I felt like she was introduced as a a, a tool oh. and not a character so much, mm. if that makes sense. Sure. And so I did kind of leave that going, hey, we didn't, you know, it, it's down in my notes for the hot takes coming up. I'm yeah. like, man, it felt like she was there and then poof. Yeah. Gone. Like, and I think, and I think to Justin's point, I would have preferred like a longer interaction mm. with her and Joanna and then have dream come in a bit later. Sure. Um, yeah. Cause it did like, he, he just, he's like right there over her shoulder. I'm like, um, is mad heady blind? Does she not <laughs> like, it would have it was been just pretty funny if weird. they had given Jenna Coleman a line like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was fast. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like it, 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 it felt like something that should have played to a comic sure. comedic moment, and they didn't quite. But yeah, you know, that's very. It was very minor. Um, Somebody get Neil on the phone, case. Justin. <laughs> yes. Why don't you fire off another tweet? <laughs> you, yes, please. I do have a mad heady fun fact though. Oh, good. Um, Let's have it. In the comics, she says that she's two hundred and forty-seven years old. Mm. in this episode 33 years later uh -huh. she says she's 280 years old they got the math right yes they did excellent. i love that i thought that was kind of fun <laughs> i love that that is fun very very good well the other character we have showing up in this episode um is matthew the raven <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, that was a squeak of happiness <laughs> from, from, Kelly, from Sue. Kelly Sue. I believe that I'm interpreting that right. Um, Y'all know it's my favorite character. That <laughs> is what I got from Chris Thorne, by the way. Yes, it is. On my cover. <laughs> uh, oh, goodness. Um, and of course- I've been the fan casting the fuck out of my favorite character, by the way, ever since. <laughs> um, so we have Matthew the Raven and with him, Pat Oswalt. Oh. Um, and you know, we find out a little bit about why he's there and, you know, his own, uh, level of confusion, <laughs> like what the heck's going on. Um, but then just this, you know, there's an immediate pivot into like his determination and loyalty, um, mm -hmm. to dream. And he's been given a job and damn it if he's not gonna do it he's just gonna do his job um which is delightful and i think this is one of my favorite kind of themes in this episode is this idea of loyalty and breaking loyalty and 
and I think it's really an interesting in dream and with Joanna Constantine um, as well, where we see them now behaving badly because of like traumatic events that have happened that have been specifically tied to the loyalty of others to them and of them, you know, to people that they've cared about in their past. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's very interesting, but before we start all of that, I'm turning to Justin because my son, as soon as, as, or as Matthew, the Raven was explaining how he had died in his sleep and became a Raven um, my son made me pause the show and, and asked, okay, so does everybody who like die, like, is this, does everybody who dies in their sleep become a raven? Like what's the, the, the physics law <laughs> around how there are ravens and why? And I don't know if there's a specific answer. I don't remember from our reading, but if anybody would have it, I think Justin would. Certainly not everyone becomes a raven. Um, I think it's as simple as ravens are selected from the recently dead. Mm-hmm. Um, in the comic, Matthew doesn't appear until the doll's house. And it's not implied that Dream wasn't the one who picked Matthew. You know, like that's here. They're doing something different. Um, I will say that Matthew is the ghost repurposed ghost of Matthew Cable who was the husband the first husband of Abigail Cable who became Abigail Holland who is the wife of Swamp Thing who became Abigail Hobbs <laughs> <laughs> I definitely went there with you Kelly Sue I was okay, like yeah. I, I almost Abigail said Hobbs. Abigail Hobbs <laughs> you so. cannot <laughs> Listen, um, you cannot convince me that Abigail Hobbs did not die and become a raven, period. Yeah, well, and and to say that Hannibal is part of the dreaming universe would not be out there. Um, so we'll just- There's literally an episode Hannibal where a killer sure is transforms someone into a bird. The same. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, come on. 100%. Anyway, moving on. Very Mash good. it up. <laughs> well, I do like that. I, I like having a little bit you of a backstory. Brian Fuller on the phone. <laughs> Justin, please time do to that. Fire oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's it called? Here's the thing that I really love about introducing Matthew here, and they should have kind of done in the comic, kind of, is mm-hmm. the comic leans heavily on Dream's internal monologue in the first storyline. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of exposition is provided that way. And now all of that gets done by conversation with Matthew. Yes, it does. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's neat. It's interesting. It's it's mm-hmm. character driven. It's like it's. I love it so intensely. It's the level. Of, it's it exactly the perfect choice. The yeah. sort of thing that I want them to be doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it is exactly the right choice. Yeah. Yes. And to bring it, and again, like to because in that first episode the jessamy thing was so powerful mm-hmm. yeah. to like to have to have us all know that and that that happened i mean i know it happened like 100 years ago for dream <laughs> but yeah. it happened just two episodes ago for us so it's pretty fresh for both of us you know mm-hmm. um that it adds so much more to the introduction of this character and it's mm-hmm. just perfect it's just perfect Yes. Story-wise, character-wise, I love it. And I was thrilled. 
um, because uh, upon first watch, obviously I was not expecting to see my darling Matthew so soon. Mm-hmm. And now in the show, I'm getting even more of this character that I've come to love so deeply and in all of these various ways. And is there any, like, is there anybody more perfect to be the voice of Matthew than Patton Oswalt? <laughs> Inspired. And I wouldn't even have thought of it. I was so joyful and I loved this new introduction to Matthew. I loved this like borderline, like buddy cop war <laughs> that was being created between the two of them. Um, I just, I absolutely, I just couldn't, I adored it. Every, every part of it. Yeah. That's well, and my, I think it's, that's it's, my pick. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's such a great place to bring him in too, because we're immediately it may it forces us to think back to dream's reactions to jessamy to the mm-hmm. loss of jessamy in an mm-hmm. episode where he's being openly confronted about his attitudes towards anybody but himself and yeah. um and watching him try to protect himself and not get involved in holding himself apart from everyone around him um mm-hmm. is yeah interesting and then it's interesting to flop all of that over onto joanna constantine who's the one you know trying to hold his feet to the fire about about caring about other people and then we also need to take on the fact that okay but she is also the one who left her there and Mm -hmm. and was unthinking enough in that moment um yeah to leave the sand with her and not you know at any point go, Hey, maybe I should check in. Um, Uh and, and obviously that that's being portrayed as a very specific reaction again to trauma. It's not Uh a, you know, she's just a, you know, a dick and, and left, but she's trying to deal with it. These things shut Uh us down. Well, and Uh, I also felt very much like uh, to all of those points, there was a little bit of me that was sensing a, a sort of parallel between Dream's experience with Jessamy and Constantine's experience with Astra, where they're not, I mean, I mean, they're not totally the same, but these moments of like, oh my God, I just, you're, I just, I just lost you. Now what do I do? You know, and I think that mm-hmm. so much of his experience, obviously, and he speaks about it in the show, his experience with Jessamy is the reason he doesn't want another Raven. Um, and Constantine is like, well, you know, but that's how we're introduced to Constantine in this episode, right? Is this this experience that she has losing Astra or the or the dream of the regret that is built around that. And it was, I I felt those parallels, whether they meant to draw them or not, um, and it was really, it and, and I'm pretty sure continue. they meant to yeah. draw them. Yeah. It feels like yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they continue that because she's sure. trying to be rid of a, she's trying to be rid of Rachel in the same way Yeah. that, you know, you know, um, and mm-hmm. I mean, is it me? Am I the only one who noticed a slight physical similarity between Astra and Rachel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I noticed that as well. Yeah. Like sure. the hair and the mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, sure, yes. yeah, they looked very similar. I was like, Ooh, and I didn't notice it in my first watch, but I did it on my second. I was like, Oh, and you know, of course, they cast the cutest human being alive to be the girl killed during a you know, demon incursion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God damn. yeah. 
Um, before and that I, imagery of the arm. Oh my God. Yeah. Before. Oh, I, I know. Good Lord. Uh-huh. Um, before I uh, skip over to Philip here, mm-hmm. because I want to hear what Philip has to say about it. I just wanted, I think I'm just realized or thinking about this now, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I'm wondering Constantine's the one who came in contact with the sand and then left it with Rachel. And I'm wondering if that might not be because even if she didn't fully understand what the sand was or what it does, if being in contact with it, she knew that she could get too easily tempted to like go down the same rabbit hole that Rachel does as a means of escape from something horrible that has happened. Um, I don't know. Like she had to, I mean, she's, we can't really expect that Constantine would be in possession of the sand and not intuit in some way what, that it is a powerful thing. I thought that Constantine was behind out of like guilt. Like, well, I don't, this will make you happy. I thought Constantine, I thought the, I mean, in the show anyway, regardless of how it went down in the comic, but in the Mm -hmm. show, she, I like I said I saw it as like same night she lost she Astro, just never went same back night she just never went back gotcha. to Rachel yeah 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 so she just cut and ran mm-hmm. and did not think at all about any of the stuff she was leaving yeah. there no yeah. reason she didn't and, think about her and repercussions and I mean that like to right. go to the comic anyway I mean Constantine is like oh yeah I found that at like some flea market in San Francisco I had an idea. I knew it was powerful, but I couldn't even get the, the strings open. I had no idea what it actually was. Right. That's what and she so says. If, she she delivers that. Yeah. yeah. In she the, says that in the show. Oh, she does. She okay. Does, yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, then it's like, there you go then. So uh-huh. it's like, yeah, she knew it was an item of power as like Constantine would know power when, sure. you know, she encounters it, but the exact nature of it, I believe that she didn't know the exact nature yeah. of it. Yeah. And I imagine so, because she couldn't open it, what would have made her thought that it would have opened for, you know, Rachel. Rachel. True. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good. I, um, Take back what I said based on what all of you have just said. <laughs> well, I, because of the flashback with Astra, which I do not equate with the night she left Rachel at all, huh. only because, only because of the comic book background like that. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm saying that's just not my takeaway. Um, so you're saying I shouldn't take back what I said? No, 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 no. I think you should because in no, my I head, think you in my head, um, in my head, I think Constantine. I think Constantine knows magical things, and I think Constantine probably never tried too hard to open that bag because, and probably something there was probably something warning in the back of of her head that was like, you know there's danger here you know you should probably only open that when you're ready and mm-hmm. thus stop thinking about it and mm-hmm. never factored in you know the fact that exes go through your shit <laughs> philip do you think kelly sue should take that bag or not like that's what we want to hear she, from you right now she can make whatever choice she feels comfortable making sure. i think wow yeah Excellent. yeah that's what um, i think very yeah. of you, thank you Thank you. I'm, Man. I'm, that's a producer's answer right there. Someone, someone needs to swallow you with all that sucking up you're doing. Jesus. <laughs> Even though I can tell Phil is already misty-eyed getting ready to talk about Astra. Philip, I, oh. I want to hear from you about Matthew's showing up, 
what you think of the character and the way it's being portrayed. And you're our guy for the like the the assessment of the visuals mm-hmm. in a show. So, you know, what are your thoughts on this episode's visuals and the it on us. you sure. know the 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 technicalities, the cinematography, and the, uh, you know the really is, you are the, the authority astute, on such. Oh my god, thinking person you know stuff go for it no 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 pressure wow yep. no pressure whatsoever um <laughs> first of all about matthew what i'm liking about him in this episode is his sort of grounding force uh his sort of streetwise you know uh knowledge that he brings to dream because we, we all know morpheus can get in his head a little bit and that can drive him to an action uh sometimes and so you know, having Matthew the Raven there to be like, hey, you know, I bet those two up there need to be checked on because they're not thinking about you and, and what they're supposed to be doing. Um, there's like a, I, I feel like we, and we talk about this a lot, actually, in the uh, initial podcast we did about the comic books is that Dream has the ability to get stuck in his head and disconnect with how humanity thinks and feels about things, as we see in the series already a little bit. So Matthew's bringing that uh, gravity back uh, you know, kind of grounding him a bit in the situation and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that he doesn't have complete control over humans, though, even though he'd like to think that he is the end all be all <laughs> of everything. Uh, and uh, there was another moment towards the beginning where uh, of the episode. Oh, when he, when he's commanding Johanna to not exercise the demon, he's like, <laughs> I command you. <laughs> and You're just like, shut the fuck up, dude. You command her. <laughs> It's so hilarious that it's so it's so dream, right? It's so like you will do my bidding because uh, dreams are what drive you as human beings, and like, like he's so self-important, and so it's um, it's nice to see. It's nice to have Matthew introduce this early because it kind of it keeps Dream really grounded in that aspect. Um, yeah, and, and we are we already see him doing that in this episode. Uh, so that's really nice. Yeah. Um. As far as like, <laughs> as far as the so visual, true. it is, it is, uh, you know, dreams a dick. Um, and her reaction is like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. What? Why would I stop? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's hilarious. That interaction is great. Um, I don't know. As far as visuals go, uh, there, there were a few visuals that really stood out to me this episode. Um, I, the 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 way well first of all the way they film uh the entire sequence between Jolie and David is beautiful oh. the white room the the soft love it, it kind of feeling of of everything in there is very different from the experience that we're getting in the rest of the series um and I really like that a lot it's not dark it's not dripping with noir it's not this dreamlike world it is it there's Super something. Modern. It's very modern. It's very uh, comforting almost. They're in this very comforting environment having this conversation. And that I really like. Um, There's one specific visual that I, that really left out at me that I was going to say for my hot takes, but there's, there's a moment where dream sort of kneels down to Matthew and they're in the silhouette of the, the arch, the door with the arches, the archway there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know what? I think you should come along. Uh, to hell (laughs) and there's this beautiful uh, you know maybe I can have use for you 
to go to hell. That's where we're going next. It's it's wonderful. Again, and a very funny moment. Legitimately, my favorite line. Yeah, yeah. Fuck it. Let's go to hell. Yeah, let's go to hell. Here we go. I guess we're going to hell. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's it's also that same shot where it's like Tom Sturridge kneels down in just like this perfect yes, curve way, kind of, yeah. and I'm just like, damn. Yeah, really caught. Yeah, moments like that. Figure. Yeah, moments like that really capture the essence yeah. of the comic. Or pay tribute to the comic mm -hmm. without yes. feeling like they're stealing from the comic necessarily. I know? was totally like, how was this not a panel yeah. from the comic yeah. when I saw yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is. Is it not? It, it couldn't be because Matthew's so. not there Matthew this early. Wasn't there. I mean, At that point, I mean, it could be somewhere. When, yeah, it could maybe be later. Somewhere in the comic. I don't think Dream yeah. ever has quite that like kind of moment with I don't. Him. I can't even imagine dream getting down on one knee in front of matthew in the comic yeah well i'm gonna find out but it's it's great uh, well, it, it because it be, resonates though right even if it's, it's not, not it resonates that it's right not an it's wonderful image like it didn't call like to me i didn't recall an image but i sure kind of wished i had like it looked so good it was mm. such a great shot yeah, yeah i definitely yeah. also had that same kind of like it it was so perfectly staged yeah that i also was like is this from the comic like it's yeah. hard not to think it wasn't because it the staging of it was just yeah so yeah intentional. i mean I, I definitely think we can rest assured that the show is going to be a visual extension of the comic <sighs> just repetitively yeah. repeatedly repetitively um as we go on sure. well i think we're at a point where we should take a quick break um, but I've got a little bit more, uh, particularly about, you know, John D and dear mama Ethel that Aww. I want to dive into a little bit when we come back from break and then we're going to have our hot takes Woo! because there's some hot takes. <laughs> so stick with us. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying this conversation, in luck because in September we'll be bringing you our next That Episode Was series, this time tackling Amazon's The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power series. We'll follow that with our long-awaited deep dive into David Lynch and Mark Frost's Twin Peaks with the retrospective series That Gum You Like. And you should always keep your eyes out, but don't take them out. Keep, keep a lookout. Keep your eyes in, but keep a lookout for more popsicle pop-ups. Have we mentioned the Corinthian late recently? I feel like we should have. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I was like, what a great lead in. <laughs> for all those announcements and the ongoing popsicle conversation, follow at Popsicle Pod on all social medias and check out our website, popsiclepod.com, where you will find the complete popsicle catalog and you can sign up to receive all the latest news and announcements in your inbox. Remember that's Popsicle Pod, P-O-P, S-K-L-P-O-D. All right, we're back. Let's talk John and Ethel Cripps. We've got apologies, lies, sacrifices, <laughs> in just full tilt Indiana Jones style uh, quick aging. Um, 
and I, you know, more than anything, I think I want to know what your take is on this choice that Ethel has made to give the amulet of protection to her son. Did she make the right choice? Mm, I mean, Kelly, Kelly Sue has mm, thoughts. Mm, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> and even if it was the right choice, she's made way too many not right choices for it to have really mattered. <laughs> to be honest. Um, what I do know is that I love, I loved all of the changes they made to the sequence. Um, because I was like, you know, John D I'm expecting the grotesqueness. I'm expecting there to not be a lot of love in this exchange. Um, and that was exactly the opposite of what we get, which is a lot of the regret, which is coming from this amazing, you know, um, scene with the Corinthian that was so marvelous. Um, and their rapport, um, and this like, I mean, such a departure from where he's living in the comic to where he's living in the show, right? Um, and just David Thewlis in general and the the gentleness and the softness and her regret and all of that. It was, it felt so much more like the pain of what is shown in the comics felt so much more real as a result of these changes. Um, and I appreciated it so much. And the performances in that scene, even now, like, you know, it's impossible as a mom to not juxtapose my own life onto any situation with a mother and a son, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to just see all of the ways that she really thought, I thought I was doing the right thing. And I really wasn't. And wow, how I ruined your whole situation. And here's what I'm going to do to try to make it right. Even like completely disregarding the fact that like, you're going to go do this. You're going to take this and do something terrible, <laughs> you know? Um, I just really loved it. And I loved that what they created the two of them in that, in that scene, it was, it was just beautiful. And I wasn't expecting to walk away thinking, wow, that was beautiful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really, yeah, I it was like, it, it is like you were saying, it was like the surprisingly like warm and loving moment that it was, mm -hmm. you know, coming from the comics, not expecting it at all. Um, yeah. It was beautiful. Did she make the right choice? Absolutely not. <laughs> Girl, no. But I totally, but it was like in that moment, I completely, it was completely consistent with the character, completely yeah. consistent with the story that she would make this choice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's completely consistent with a mother, you know, mm -hmm. like, like Ethel to yeah. think that this, that by making this sacrifice, for her son this final sacrifice for her son that that would somehow fix him you know yeah. that it would somehow like by protecting him in this way he wouldn't do bad things anymore mm -hmm. and that's her own you know that's mm -hmm. her her mother vision mm -hmm. and her mother yeah. feelings and I completely understood that and um yeah so was it the right decision mm -mm. Mm -hmm. 
but completely understandable. It yeah. wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like she made the decision. And I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, perfect. Yeah. Well, and it's a decision made out of an extreme burden of guilt for yeah. having a selfishly, you know, retained this thing for herself all mm-hmm. of these years and in setting, you know, in motion, the chain of events that has literally produced this person in the world, mm-hmm. this destructive force. Um, yeah. Which then I, leads to one of the most horrific experiences <laughs> uh, I have to I was glad of the gnarly I was missing in those mm-hmm. fir- in these first two episodes I was missing the gnarly yeah, yeah. and yeah. so I was really I mean I thought yeah. that the gnarly was perfectly Perfect. placed yes. this moment yes 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 because yes. yes. you get it yeah Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there it is. I was, oh, there it, I was, yeah. Oh, I was like, there oh, there it is. It is. Hey, we're, we have it arrived. Was... The shuttle has yeah. stopped yeah. and we are at Gnarly Town now. Totally. Which was, which yeah. was even more impactful this because is what I remember. Yeah, it's even more impactful because we've seen what this amulet can do already, but with the Corinthian, who is not a being that is going to explode into a gooey mess. Um, so when we do see it, it's like, oh, huh. <laughs> Well, and and John's John's comment, like I've seen what that thing can do to people who come at you. He's seen people uh-huh. getting gnarly since he was a kid. Yeah, like yeah. poor kid. Yeah. Like oh. imagine, like growing up seeing that happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's the thing I I'm loving about, I think the the putting together of this mother who is younger than she is looking younger than she would otherwise, right? Yeah. And her son. And the way David Thewlis is playing this character, in addition to that juxtaposing of like, it kind of feels like he's older than her, Mm. even though he's not, and he is her son. And the way he plays this just vulnerability that is pitiable, Uh um, it just really, really emphasizes the childlike nature. Yes that is at his core and they're, they're just really milking that for all it's worth. Yeah. It's really good. Um, Philip or Justin, anything final words on Ethel's final moments? <laughs> um, John D. Here we go. Strikes me <laughs> full on as an addict. Mm-hmm. Yes. In this. Yeah. Like, he will say and do whatever he has to do to get to his ruby. He will absolutely accept no blame and absolutely thinks everyone is persecuting him. Mm. And um, he is in that way pitiable and also despicable. And, you know, the, mm-hmm. as addicts are, they're both pitiable and despicable. Mm-hmm. Um and that really worked here mm-hmm. and it's a it's a again it's a real modernization of because they always kind of treated him like an addict to the gem in the in the comic but he and, and they made him look like all jacked up the way you imagine you know mm-hmm. a real bad addict would look um and here it's it's much more urbane it's much more wealthy white addiction than you know mm-hmm. crackhead addiction but it's still 
it really works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. This whole sequence is impeccably done. It feels really well done. Mm-hmm. I just found myself wondering how much I needed it. You know, I guess, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's mostly because I know how it's going to end. So mm. I was kind of like, this seems like a whole lot of development for someone who's going to just, you know, whose whole story is going to stop abruptly, you know, <laughs> in a few episodes. Um, but it, I mean, I, I love the way it's presented. I love the the back and forth between Jolie Richardson and David Thewlis. David Thewlis is freaking putting on a masterclass in this episode too, mm-hmm. or in this whole scene, all of his appearances in this. Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's, that's pretty yeah. much all I got. Yeah. yeah, was it you, Justin, who had posted? I was I, I had read this post uh, on the internet somewhere, and I think you posted it. And I I thought of it as I was watching the episode again. How everybody was losing their minds about, you know, the the gender bent casting and and the um, reposted the racial swapping and things like this, right? Yeah. And how not one person had anything to say about. David Thulis showing up as John D and not being fucking decrepit and not mm-hmm. falling apart. And he doesn't look comics accurate, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I really thought about that. And I was like, yeah, I reposted This is that. why you don't yeah. get to like it. Yeah. 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 And I thought it like for some reason I thought it was something that you had posted, Justin, because I was just like such a fantastic point. I, I did I reposted it. Someone you else reposted it. Yeah, I reposted right. it. Yeah. You reposted well, it. I'm not sure you can rely on it being Justin's unless Neil Gaiman has replied to it. So. <laughs> or at least at the very <laughs> least retweeted it. I almost yeah. said reblogged it. <laughs> <laughs> Use me while I go put myself in the urn. <laughs> Oh what? <laughs> um, David Thewlis was just telling me how he thought, you know. <laughs> oh my god. Justin's over here being like, well, David Thewlis and I are buddies on Twitter. And he was DMing me saying I was the one who chose to make the protection amulet green. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I would uh... expect you to have that conversation with him. Oh my. <laughs> I, I have something that might push back against Justin a little bit uh, in my Ooh, thoughts. My about, in my thoughts about uh, just the, the the usefulness of these sequences, um, outside of them being wonderful, because they are wonderful. Obviously, they're amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like Del, especially on the second watch, I felt like delving into this storyline so much more deeply this early on really does give us thematically kind of a, a pool of reflection as to what sand like morpheus is and will be going through uh to a much larger degree later on um uh. so aside from just exploring you know john d a little further and you know whatever happens to him next there is that element to it that the stronger and, and I, justin would agree with this absolutely the stronger you make your secondary characters the more that sort of elevates the main yeah, well, you know, if it's, it's if it's done TV, in the right way, so you yeah. need A yeah. and B and C stories. Yeah, that all you know, sort of more than you do than in, in, in comics. Comic. And yeah. you're right that it's it's thematically right on because what we're getting here, we're, we're getting with John D in that addict sort of way, is someone who doesn't care about the effects of his actions on us. Yes, 
yes. and is mm-hmm. not going to pay any prices for it. Right. You know, uh, unless he's made to. Right. You know, and so yeah, yeah you're not wrong about yeah. that. My 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 only this, having watched it twice, my only scene that I was kind of like, uh, eh, you know, Corinthian didn't have to be there to give him the jacket. <gasps> I was like, I mean, it was okay, like whatever, but John D still would have gone to get his ruby without the Corinthian being like, here you go. Now go get your ruby, little boy. It was just, it was a little like we have, you know, I get, we have to kind of keep him in there a little bit. And that's the, probably the best place in the episode to do it. But I was just kind of like, that's the only reason why he was really there. Uh, just to it, kind well, of it, add, it sort of adds to his menace. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, but, like, and yeah, it's a reminder that, that he's, he's still there. Yeah. Like, he's kind of plotting. He's got, this is his sort of like mustache twirly moment. Yeah. Like a, but it's, you're it's right. very much a mustache twirly moment. It was okay. You're right. Yeah. He, like, he, it wasn't necessary. Right. No, it yeah. wasn't necessary. That was the only, but it was the only little it bit. It didn't bug me. No, it didn't. Yeah. I like it didn't take me out of the show. I'm not going to like, you know, hate, hate not watch it now. I think it's adorable. Although I will say to. on that note, when I have something that bothers me in a show, on anything that we watch, I gauge how viable my point was by Lisa's reaction. If Lisa, <laughs> if Lisa agrees with me, if Lisa agrees with me, I'm like, that was a good point. But, you know, when Lisa, Lisa's like, yeah, I don't agree. That's not how I felt. I'm always, I always go home and I feel Wait. a little bit like a failure. After that, like, I feel like no, that makes no. Sense. I mean, I am a, I'm honored, but b, I'm like, oh no, because oh, I disagreed with you today. <laughs> well, that's what made me think that I was like, damn it, you know. But that's hilarious. Um, oh goodness. But the thing about it is, um, what you call it? I think it's because. Lisa, you're the most willing to push back on the things I say. Oh, yeah, that, I think that was my yeah. first time really pushing back against you, yeah, Justin. I, yeah. I, I brought up, I got up the courage to do it. And yeah, you it. just stabbed me in the back. You don't push back. On me. You, <laughs> stab, you just come at me. But oh, Lisa, Lisa will take my points and be like, "That's cute, Justin." You know, it's really nice that you think that. And so I always. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want you to stop doing it, Lisa. I like it, you know? No, no, I won't because I mean, I, 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 I I'm sorry. Can. I won't because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love because mm-hmm. I love taking in everybody else's, like the way everybody else mm-hmm. saw this. And wow. I, I mean, yeah, but I, I, I do too. And so, I'm, and that's why I'm, I'm like, I always all the time. like, I respect everybody's way of seeing this stuff. Wow. Um, and then I just have <laughs> my own way of seeing it. <laughs> this it is just fascinating. Made me think, I, as soon as, as soon as it, when Philip was like, I'm going to be pushing back against you a little bit here, I was like, Are you kidding me? Right. Who do you think you are, Lisa? Lisa, Lisa does this all the time. See it, but right now you're so, sitting above, you're sitting above the foundation of pushing back against me. <laughs> oh, my. Um, but I do also want to add one more point about Ethel Cripps, which is that <laughs> I absolutely loved that scene because it added to this theme of anytime you take action out of guilt, that shit is going to go sideways. Yeah. 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 Because it's generally coming too late. You're doing the thing that should have been done yeah. a long time ago to Lisa's yeah. point. And I will just close out this topic by saying that I absolutely love that Justin gave us the analogy of the drug addict because yeah, this is absolutely Ethel showing up for family therapy day at the drug rehab. And that's mm-hmm. always how well it goes. Mm-hmm. 
So someone always dies. Delightful. So, yeah, someone always, <laughs> always explodes. So yeah, um, we're moving into hot takes, and um, I, we've mentioned most of the things that I had down as hot takes. Like you know, Mad Hetty felt like she was barely there, and then she was gone. Um, I was going to note that I really like that we didn't get the full tilt apartment or house filled with gore um going into rachel's that that whole scene um and i also appreciate that we kind of got that in the people the guys blowing up in the elevator um as a replacement i think that's really judicious use of where we get our gore which we want our gore because that's what makes the sandman the sandman in some ways is the core anyway and then my last take is just before i hand it over to you for your hot takes is just like hello sexual tension between constantine and dream i mean i have something to say (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i so i know that kelly sue and justin and i have watched all of it i don't know where philip and claire are No spoilers. There's no spoilers here. But um, recently I was watching an interview with um, Mason Alexander Park, who plays Desire. Mm -hmm. And and they were giving an interview alongside um, the woman. I can't remember her name right now, who plays Death. But they were talking about how Kirby um, Baptiste Howell. Howell. Yes. Thank you. There are a lot of people with three names in this cast. Yeah. (laughs) But um, they were talking about how like a lot of people, including people they personally know, are like kind of shipping them with Dream. And they're both like, ew, he's my brother. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) But Mason Alexander Park was like, at first they were like, ew, he's my brother. But then they followed it up with being like, well, to be fair, Tom Sturridge has chemical, has... uh, (laughs) sexual chemistry sorry (laughs) has sexual chemistry with almost everybody he does a scene with and I was like this is true I mean I could even say he and Matthew like in that scene we're all talking about where he's bending down like that gives me a moment as well yeah Sturridge is just a heightened sexual being I guess yeah uh, on screen I think um listen it's it's time for me to throw down As someone who has made eye contact with Tom Sturridge at the Hilton Bar in San Diego. <laughs> this is this is Justin's tweet moment. This right is here. very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it is intense. I think we're going to be hearing about the Hilton Bar in every episode of this series. Probably. And probably we even... totally should. We should yeah. hear about it yeah. every, every episode. episode. And probably and even after we leave and go to Rings tweet. of Power and stuff, <laughs> we're still going to be We'll talk hearing. about the tweet. Yeah. We'll be talking about the tweet from Neil. We'll be talking about the Hilton Bar with Tom yeah. this entire time. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Any other hot takes that absolutely need to be spoken into the universe? My my hot take, which is similar to yours, although in, in a different way, it was about Rachel's dreams and how mm. different they were from the way they were presented in the comic. I mean, it wasn't even really her dreams in the comic. It was just dreams made gooey. Um, <laughs> but I thought this was... 
a, a wonderful and wonderfully thought out departure from the comic. I thought it made perfect sense. Yeah. It was better for the medium. I just thought it was spot on. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I know, also and my like... heart broke for Rachel here in a way that it never did in the comic. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I like that mm-hmm. they wasn't like the drug addict shaming kind of feel, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, were these making dreams gooey the way John D was making the security guys gooey? Sort of. Uh, in, so in, in the comic, <laughs> there are dreams that are just like coating the walls in one scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. There yes. is, yeah, yeah. There's another room <laughs> that go into where there's a person coating the walls. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's Rachel's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bit where um, they find a guy who had been breaking in, like, you know, a, a oh, thrill right. seeker burglar. Oh, right. And his, his dreams had been sort of, you know, made a little crazy, but they didn't interact with them. Right. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I remembered the bit with like the room that is basically coded with her father. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I appreciated the, um, the kind of add on as they're standing outside the apartment mm-hmm. where she says, I'll have to call her father. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. I was like, yeah. I appreciate that because then we who have read the comics know her father didn't end up lining the walls. <laughs> he didn't get good anywhere. That's delightful. Although <laughs> someone ends up lining a wall you know, yeah, in this yeah. episode. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm also glad they didn't leave that out. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, goodness. I think, I think my only hot take left is there's a moment where uh, uh, Dream and Constantine are having their final sort of discuss word words with each other, and he says to her, uh, "You're not Roderick Burgess." The look on Jenna Coleman's face uh, spoke volumes. Like, "Oh, you don't know me. Don't try to tell me what I think I am or what I'm not." She's holding so much inside of her at that moment. Um, that that look is is uh, yeah, as Justin said, uh, and was going to be my. Um, that episode was pretty heartbreaking uh so much held in one look was pretty awesome mm-hmm. excellent well um it's time to close up shop a little bit on this episode and uh we need to get one final word from philip who i believe has a recommendation for us if if people have liked this episode or are liking the sandman in general they may like these words that Philip has to say. Well, out of curiosity, I went back this last week and I, I've been wanting to watch this for a long time because it's one of David, David Thewlis's first films. It's a Mike Lee film called Naked. Um, and it's hard to watch. It is hard. Lee, I'm getting a reaction from Lisa. <laughs> David Thewlis is so, so good in it. Like he plays this just reprehensible person so well that you you're like this is it remind it's sort of that 90s nihilistic bastard right who knows everything and treats people like shit and is deeply damaged and that's like a 90s thing and and i felt like i feel like 90s filmmakers especially the early 90s filmmakers really tried to do things to affect the audience in not fun ways <laughs> like there's there's this there's uh uh that uh hitman movie um that french hitman movie uh a man bites dog which is just awful to watch uh as well 
um like such an awful movie to watch and experience uh but it you know mike lee mike lee's genuinely he is generally a brilliant director and this is brilliantly directed and the actors are brilliant in it it is so fucking hard to watch um especially elements of it uh, uh the abusive elements of it uh specifically towards women and things like that that sort of early 90s kind of element um but if you are someone who enjoys I enjoys is the wrong word uh, who likes taking part in the element that that artistic element of film or even theater. Cause this, this sort of shit can be done in theater a lot of times too, where people really want to push the envelope as it were. Um, and I think even David Thewlis has talked about regretting some of the things in this film as well. I don't know why I'm recommending this film. I don't, this is still a recommendation. <laughs> Because I'm recommending it. If if those if you're if if those sorts of things you like, part you know, you sure. get something out of those sorts of artistic sort of endeavors into character driven films, into looking at darker souls and the darker side of life and things like that. Mm -hmm. David Thewlis is fucking brilliant in it. Like yeah. he's hands down like a force of nature in this movie, and you're watching it and you're like, this is unlike anything else he's played, and everything else that he's played is different than anything else he's played. And, and you watch this and you the guy's a maniac. Um, he's brilliant. Uh, and you can't, no matter how hard it is to watch all the elements of the film, you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy can act. Um, and then I'll also recommend for people who can't sit through something like that, that Island of Dr. Moreau, which is just madcap zaniness. And I love David Thewlis in it anyway. Uh, it's just a crazy film. Marlon Brando's crazy. Val Kilmer's crazy. Yeah. And, and David Thewlis is just like, I'm here still giving an amazing performance hello um so if you I'd actually to, really love to rewatch that one. i it's it's fantastic i, mean, I, wow, I genuinely a minute i genuinely <laughs> love that hot mess of a movie uh i love it wow. so i would recommend both of those films uh for the discerning viewer the first one for the viewer that's just like yeah let's watch something goofy with great performances the second wow. the latter excellent well even though philip may have forgotten what the recommendation segment was all about hey, I, I i was re recommending to a very specific audience yes right you there. were goodness i hope there's some of those out there amazing <laughs> oh we love you philip um, this is what happens when we don't let him talk about paper girls anymore <laughs> I, I have nowhere else to talk about these things that i watch that i put myself through i have to talk about them somewhere <laughs> we're so glad to be that outlet for yeah. you philip it's amazing oh i love that um well we're done talking uh, no, about that episode was were you going to do that huh not not to stop you. oh we... right oh. yes i always okay. skip over that why do we do <laughs> all right well before we close, I for, i've forgotten the entire point of the actual series that we're doing um so everyone that episode was what is your one word uh descriptor lisa that episode was gorgeous come on nice justin episode was the best so far three words four words yeah four words so kelly no one sue. else can do any more than yeah you're <laughs> i've used up everyone else's words yeah kelly sue that episode was <laughs> <laughs> was what? 
Uh, she cawed like a raven. Oh, Jesus Thank Christ. you. Caught like Matt Susan's raven. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve well, Martin from Three Amigos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite part is that I did that. And then Justin, once he knew what I was doing, was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, that could have been five words in Raven. We don't know. So that's great. I love how Claire, who often uses several words. I know. Session, yeah, right. I'm sure everybody only uses one. Uh, yes. Totally. Today she's the, 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 that episode was police. I am, uh, yeah, I'm totally hypocritically uh, shaming all of you right now. Uh, Philip. Uh, that episode was uh, heartfelt. Let's say that. that was nice. And and I'm just going to go back with, you know, the description that Justin gave us earlier. That episode was gooey. Gooey. Yeah. Squelch. All right. Now we're done. And now we've done all the things. Correct, <laughs> Philip? Can I end the episode now? Yeah, you may, uh, Lisa, you, uh, Claire, you may not end the episode. It's fine. Wow. Lisa? Yeah, sorry. Nicely done. Listen, <laughs> I had a margarita and a half before recording. That's everybody else's excuse. <laughs> I'm going to have one now. Um, yes. We are done with this episode. Thank you for being with us. Until our next episode. Sweet dreams. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everyone can tell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this episode of the Popsicle Podcast is brought to you this month by HunterBlackComics.com. Hunter Black is the best damn hard-boiled fantasy webcomic on the internet. Just ask series creators Justin Penniston and William Orr. If Tarantino, Tolkien, and Tartakovsky made a webcomic, it might be half the two-fisted tale of blood-soaked revenge that Hunter Black is. Maybe. There's a new page every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's absolutely free. So what are you waiting for? HunterBlackComics.com because you need a comic that'll kick your ass. Bravo. That, that was sounded, feeling. That sounded really good. I mean, okay. I'm happy with that. Me too. If Justin isn't, then he can fuck himself. I hope you send him that in the recording <laughs> of that ad. I'm going to. I'm going to. The fuck out I, of that. I, I think so. I think so.